Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here is the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, I'm pleased to welcome the president of Thomas Aquinas College, Dr. Mike McLean. How are you, Dr. McLean? I'm doing well, Clay. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation. Yes, sir. Wanted to ask you first, how long have you been with Thomas Aquinas College and how long have you presided? All right. I started uh, teaching at Thomas Aquinas College in the fall of 1978. And I've been president now for 11 years and I have uh, one year left in my second term, after which I am planning to step down as president and hopefully return full time to the classroom and finish up my career as a teacher. Now, regarding uh, the teachers there at Thomas Aquinas, I was looking over your website, thomasaquinas.edu, and I notice that your faculty are referred to as tutors rather than instructors or professors. Would you explain why that is so? Yeah, that's a good question, Clay. As you know from your research, uh, we pride ourselves on using the great books of Western civilization as the uh, core materials in our curriculum. And as such, we regard the authors of those great books as the principal teachers uh, at the college. So our students are learning uh, directly from teachers like Plato and Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas and Dante and Shakespeare and Cardinal Newman and Pope St. John Paul II, as well as many others. And the teachers here are, are, we think of ourselves as helpers or facilitators in that process of our students learning directly from the great thinkers of Western civilization. So they're not so much learning what what the teachers here think or what we believe, but rather our job is to help them understand what the great authors uh, are saying and what they have to communicate uh, to us in in our own time. And it's a great privilege to to teach uh, using the great books and to be uh, continually uh, welcome to reread and study uh, some of the greatest uh, works uh, our civilization has ever produced. And I wanted to ask you, of course, about the Great Books curriculum. My friend who introduced me to you via email is an alumna of Thomas Aquinas, and she Mm -hmm. accepted my offer to have me ask you a question, Dr. McLean, that would interest her particularly, and it would interest me as well. Morgan Peral has this inquiry for you. What is the process for choosing your curriculum from among the numerous great books? That's a very good question, Clay. Um, So let me say, first of all, a little bit about the way the curriculum is structured and organized. So uh, our students all pursue the same curriculum, uh, and it includes uh, the study of mathematics and natural science, philosophy, theology, Uh, literature, uh, language, and music. And so uh, it's organized into those disciplines. And each sequence of those disciplines is organized from, if you will, the the more simple to the more complex subject matter, and generally organized chronologically from from, say, the Greek period up to the modern and contemporary period. So the selection of the disciplines in large measure 
helps us pick the books that we think are, are most worthy of our study. And then the order of the curriculum is also a help because we typically, as I mentioned, start with works from the Greek period and work our way up to the Roman period and then the classical period, the modern period and, and the contemporary period. So, so for example, um, in mathematics, our students all start with the study of Euclid's geometry using, using Euclid's actual works. Uh, most of us studied elements of that geometry in high school probably, but, but our students study the complete uh, 13 books of Euclid's elements and they are responsible for preparing theorems for demonstration a day after day in class. So they really have to become, in some ways, uh, become uh, teachers themselves and present the, uh, the mathematical theorem. So then if you look at the history of mathematics, uh, Euclid is of fundamental importance. And you have other thinkers like Apollonius and Galileo and, and, and Newton and contemporary mathematicians like Lobachevsky and Dedekind. So uh, the, the books are selected because they constitute the best expositions of the fundamental theories and fundamental issues in the various disciplines. And because those books have stood the test of time, we're confident that, that we, even in our contemporary period, can learn from them. So it's similar in philosophy. So we begin at the beginning with the uh, Plato and Aristotle from the Greek period, and work our way up through the modern philosophers, beginning with people like Bacon and Descartes and Hume and Locke and Spinoza and such, and then finish up with some of the 20th century thinkers who are important in our own time. And similarly in theology, uh, we begin with the reading of scripture, which is the basis, sort of the fundamental basis for Catholic theology, and then move on to uh, later theologians like St. Augustine and St. John Damascene, uh, and our principal focus in theology is on the works of St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, so the order of the curriculum and the nature of the various disciplines really does help us pick the works that we want to we concentrate on. And then uh, what you learn uh, over time after you've, after you've taught here for a number of years is that there's a kind of conversation going on among the authors themselves of those great books. So, for example, if we're going to study Aristotle with any uh, kind of uh, success, you have to begin by reading some Plato because Aristotle bases a lot of what he says on the work of Plato. So, uh, similarly, um, in uh, theology, for example, if you're going to read with profit the works of St. Thomas Aquinas, well, you have to have studied some Aristotelian philosophy first, you have to have read sacred scripture first, and you have to have read a lot of the fathers of the church first. Otherwise, it becomes very difficult to read the later works if you haven't read the earlier works. So the uh, sort of the nature of the disciplines themselves and the, uh, the discussion that's gone on over centuries among the authors themselves really does help us pick the books that we concentrate on. That is fascinating, and I think a really brilliant approach. I wonder, Dr. McLean, are the tutors, tutors in all these subjects, or do they specialize? Uh, most of our uh, teachers come to us, or most of our tutors come to us with uh, advanced degrees in one discipline or another. So myself, for example, I have a PhD in, in philosophy from the uh, University of Notre Dame. Others come with PhDs in theology, uh, some in the natural sciences, some in mathematics, and so forth, so that we have a, the ability to cover the breadth of our curriculum. But we actually expect our teachers over time to teach their way around the whole program so that a, 
tutor like myself, for example, with a specialty in philosophy, uh, I've taught uh, courses in theology and mathematics and natural science and literature. And that's because we're expecting the students to do that, requiring the students to do that. And the more familiar a tutor becomes with the breadth of the curriculum, the more able he or she is to help young people begin the study of those subjects and really attain the beginnings of wisdom in the various disciplines. So that breadth of um, experience and that breadth of teaching ability is, is fundamental to our mission. Well, for the record, I think that uh, your curriculum is a great idea. The things that are true with a capital T do not change. And indeed, the focus of this very program, Core Principles, is to try to look through the lens of unchanging objective truth. But now, yes. a few decades ago, uh, E.D. Hirsch published a book called Cultural Literacy, What Every American Needs to Know. And of course, okay. it included a lot of things that espoused principles from the great books. I remember at the time being exposed to that book that it was quite controversial because some people said, well, how dare he focus on these old works? Or other people would say, well, who does he think he is identifying what Americans need to know? And right. so I wanted to ask you, Dr. McLean, what, if anything, would you say to critics of your approach using the great books? Well, Clay, you, you sort of gave me the beginnings of the answer uh, in your remarks. We, as you know, we're a Catholic college, and we really do take the Catholic faith seriously, and we take our fidelity to the Catholic Church very seriously. So, so we start uh, from the premise that there is truth, and that really uh, the truth is most embodied, most most manifest in our Lord Jesus Christ himself. So the uh, study of, of Catholic theology becomes fundamental here, and the Catholic Church over the centuries has really commended St. Thomas Aquinas to the Church as its principal theologian. So our Catholic convictions sort of lead us inexorably toward the study of Aquinas as a central figure, and obviously our, our college is named in his honor. Similarly, let's say the, uh, let's talk about the, uh, the principles of the American founding, for example. So our students study the, uh, the great political philosophers in the Western tradition, including uh, Locke, Hobbes, Rousseau, the founders, Madison, Jay, Hamilton, Lincoln, Jefferson, and so forth, because we really do believe there are foundational principles, as I know you believe, upon which this country is based. And any any literate citizen really needs to become familiar with what those principles are. And in my judgment and in the judgment of the college, those principles are kind of timeless. And this nation stands for certain things which are fundamental and foundational. And it's vital that the citizenry become knowledgeable and educated and finally committed to those principles if, the, if our democracy is to survive. I mean, mathematics in our opinion, involves a universal and timeless truth. It's not a subject to cultural relativism or any particular uh, racial or socioeconomic agenda. And we really do believe it's important for students to kind of become competent in mathematical reasoning and to sharpen their logical skills, which, which is what one of the things that the study of math really accomplishes. So we really do believe there are eternal and timeless things that have to be learned and certain skills and aptitudes that have to be cultivated, and that those are true no matter what uh, period of history you live in and no matter what the uh, challenges you might be facing in your contemporary culture. 
That is so good and so important, Dr. McLean. And it's true. I was an engineer and scientist by background. Uh, it's true in the sciences as well. Gravity, for example, does not care about my background or my feelings or my thoughts. It is no. that it is. And you go out that window, Clay, you're going to fall to the ground. I mean, yes. there's no uh, there's no two ways about it. And, uh, you know, there's a there's a kind of movement afoot in California and other places strongly in this direction of, of, of relativism. And, and you hear and read that certain uh, educators in California are now proposing that two plus two might equal four sometimes, but not other times. And uh, I just think that's a I think you're cheating young people when you don't really uh, present them with foundational and fundamental truths. And it, you're not helping them address the uh, challenges we face and, and the situations we live in uh, unless you give them uh, real meat in their educational diet. So true. I, I like pithy little sayings. And uh, one that I appreciate is that that is is. Well, <laughs> your college, yeah. uh, Dr. McLean, has an extraordinary graduation rate. What do you consider the key factors in that accomplishment, both for your school and for your students, for their part? Yeah, uh, I think I think one of the uh, most important aspects of that, Clay, is um, uh, we're obviously a unique educational institution. We occupy a certain niche in American higher education and in Catholic education as well. <clears throat> Our applic- applicants come to us with a pretty good knowledge of what the school stands for and what the curriculum is all about and what they're going to be doing here. Uh, a good number of them have participated in our two-week high school program that we offer in the summers, which is a very carefully organized introduction to our academic program and to the social and cultural life of the campus. So a good percentage have, have already experienced in some degree what they're going to find when they come as as four-year students. So we attract a, what I would call a very knowledgeable student body, one that has a, a kind of antecedent commitment to this educational program and to this community. And consequently, uh, when they're here, they generally find just what they were expecting to be the case. And the result is a very low attrition rate and a high graduation rate. And we're very proud of that. I think, uh, I think it's a testimony to the uh, integrity of the college to the uh, accuracy of our marketing and, and outreach to, to young people and uh, really speaks well for the uh, quality of the teaching that goes on here and the quality of our teaching faculty in particular. Now, when they graduate, uh, I'm sure your students are prepared for a wide variety of things, but are there typical paths that dominate their courses? Yeah, I'd say we're particularly proud of the uh, number of our graduates that enter the religious life, for example. So here we are uh, just beginning our 50th year of of operation. And we have, I think, just over 75 ordained priests that have graduated from Thomas Aquinas College and a good number of religious women who are pursuing the religious life in one way or another. But uh, I want to make clear to folks that we're not a seminary, so we're not simply preparing students for the religious life. But our graduates have gone on to successful careers in in law and medicine and engineering, education and various levels. Uh, You know, the information technology, many of them go on to computer studies and computer science and so forth. So uh, as you mentioned, this curriculum provides an excellent foundation for students, uh, for graduates to move in, in any number of directions. 
And our graduates have indeed done that. And I think they've done it with a, with a good level of success. And we get compliments from uh, people in the corporate world who are recruiting, you know, trying to recruit uh, good employees. And they really do appreciate our students' uh, kind of analytical abilities, their writing skills, and their ability to conduct conversations with one another and really learn and help one another learn and grow in whatever profession they happen to be in. As a citizen, uh, if you all had the analog of what we had in high school, guidance counselors, uh, if some of them could steer your graduates into uh, public policy and that sort of thing, I would love to be led by people who have that kind of background and that understand. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've had, we've had, we've had some success in that regard, Clay. And uh, I think as time goes on, we'll have more, but we do have, um, a number of graduates working at various levels of, of government, you know, government service. And um, I think they make a, make a tremendous contribution. And again, they come into those positions with a, with a real commitment to the goodness and beauty of the American proposition. And uh, I, think, I think they're a credit to the college and then a credit to the, uh, to the country as well. Now, let's talk, Dr. McLean, just a little bit about the academic year recently concluded. Obviously, it was atypical. How did Thomas Aquinas College deal with the pandemic restrictions and challenges? Uh, well, thank you for the question, Clay. So uh, like, like most other colleges in the country, in March of 2020, we sent our students home when the pandemic was sort of ramping up and pivoted pretty quickly to using Zoom as we're doing right now as our teaching modality. Um, our faculty adapted to Zoom very, very quickly, very expeditiously, and our students did as well. We were successful doing that, don't get me wrong, but it, it wasn't ideal by any means. This program and our educational uh, philosophy really does depend on personal interaction between faculty and students and among the students themselves. So uh, last summer, a year ago, we, we decided we were going to make a commitment to opening the current academic year in person. So we put together a COVID plan and a set of protocols with the help of a medical advisory committee that we established and in consultation with the local health authorities here in Ventura County, California, and put together a pretty good plan uh, that required, among other things, that the students all be tested for COVID before returning to the campus last August, that the faculty be tested, that the students be tested again after they got here for a week or so. And the whole, the whole plan was to establish the campus as a COVID-free zone and maintain it that way. Uh, so, uh, you know, we adapted the, uh, the masking policies that were initially required, social distancing, we held many classes outdoors and so forth. And the result was we succeeded in completing the academic year uh, with very little disruption from COVID. We had a few cases over the Christmas break, but we managed those well. We had quarantine facilities here on the campus and we limited the uh, impact of those cases. And the final, re final result was that we succeeded, successfully operated in person the whole academic year. And we're, we're proud of that. Our, our faculty, our administration did a tremendous job in making that possible. And our students, as difficult as it was and challenging as it was for them, they really lent themselves to the effort and, and uh, I think stepped up in a way that helped us succeed. 
Well, that's encouraging, and thank you for that diligent work. It actually echoes some of what I've heard from some other leaders like yourself. I've talked with the folks at Patrick Henry College, for example, and also yeah. the president of uh, Wachtaw Baptist University, and they had similar efforts and experiences and results, so that's encouraging. Yeah. Well, finally, Dr. McLean, I also want to look ahead with you. What are some of the things on the horizon you've already mentioned for yourself as uh, president and perhaps future tutor again at the college, but also for Thomas Aquinas College, both uh, the New England and California campuses? I'm, I'm glad you uh, asked that, Clay. So as far as I'm concerned, the future, the, the important things for the future of Thomas Aquinas College involve the continued our continued commitment to our educational mission, fidelity to our founding principles, and continuing our successful uh, launch of the New England campus. As you know, we launched that campus just a couple of years ago, having received it as a gift from the National Christian Foundation in 2017. And when we first looked at that campus, we thought it provided a great venue for a college of our size and scope to operate in. So we, we pursued the campus. We eventually were awarded the campus. And uh, we now have a cohort of freshmen, sophomores, and juniors out there. We'll have a senior class next year for the first time. And our, our plan, the growth plan, is to eventually grow the enrollment in New England to about 350 or 400 students where we are now. And that was really, that effort was really, I think, occasioned by the success we've had recruiting, recruiting students in our, in our history uh, up to this point in California. So, so we have a, an enrollment cap here of about 350 to 400 students. It's the ideal size for the kind of community we're hoping to, uh, to maintain here. And for the last number of years, we've had a, a, an increasing number of applicants and we, there were so many we couldn't accommodate. So when this campus became available, we, we thought there's a real opportunity for us to make this education available to more students. And I was very confident that th there are more students in the country that would benefit and enjoy this educational program. And so far that's proving to be true. So, so our hopes for the future uh, involve a continuing success in recruiting students and teachers and donors for that New England campus and to make it as every every bit as successful as our California campus has been all the time maintaining the quality of our California program as well. So we don't want uh, one campus to sort of prosper at the expense of the other, but we want both to be very successful. And I'm confident that that both will continue to be successful and the New England campus will grow and flourish uh, the way it's uh, done so far. Well, you have Morgan, who I mentioned earlier, on the team there at New England. So I will say you uh, have a winning team, and uh, all the others, I'm sure, will uh, do great things for you up there as well. I, I agree with you. Yes, she's she's really great, a good friend. Yeah. Thank you so much for speaking with me today, Dr. Mike McLean, and uh, it's been my honor to have this time to speak with you. Clay, I very much appreciate it, and uh, I'd be happy to come back anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. 
We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.